Now let me explain to you what you've got in front of you in your notes. Your notes are actually for if we get to the beginning of them in this time together. And what that means is, is if not, they'll serve as your notes for next week. I don't know where we're going to end. Because what we're trying to do here is extremely interesting. I do want to have you open up to Matthew 13. If you are new here, we already love you. And if you're sitting close to somebody who looks like they've been here for a while, and the way you know that is they have their Bible in their pen, if you've got any questions, you can ask them what's going on. Because here's what we've been looking at. Parables are a teaching tool that Jesus has employed in order to get across a specific point. He came to His own, and His own did not accept Him. He came to the Jews, telling them about everything that you've ever hoped for from all of the promises made in the Old Testament are now getting ready to be fulfilled right before your eyes. So repent, because I'm getting ready to bring in the kingdom. And instead of repenting, instead of taking note of his teaching, instead of considering the works that were being miraculously done through him, instead of paying attention to change lives, instead of paying attention to how he could take some fishermen and completely reform them to be different people, instead of noticing the displays of the glory that came off of him in public, they attributed everything he did to Satan. Now you talk about getting it wrong. But yet in doing so, the Jews had allowed their leaders to speak for them. And because of this, Jesus said, I'm no longer going to reach out to you. I am now taking the entire program that I was going to do with you, and I'm going to sit you aside, and I'm going to start paving the way for something brand new to come to the forefront. My channel of blessing is going to flow through someone else, and it's going to flow through someone else for two reasons. Number one, God has got things He wants to do. And He is looking for people who are willing to get them done. God could work all by Himself if He wanted to, but He doesn't. He loves working with people. His glory is that much more exemplified because those people who should be able to do nothing and amount to nothing and become nothing actually become something of which God's fragrance is all over. God is in the business of the miraculous. God is in the business of the supernatural. And so in doing that, at this time in history where we're at in the pages, he is preparing for something brand new known as the church, but he wants to teach his people about the kingdom before he moves in that direction. And what he is teaching them is, in the Old Testament, you always thought that the kingdom of the Messiah was going to be a perfect reign. I'm here to tell you that even in the kingdom, there is going to be evil strands that come up through it. And the way that he paints this picture is he paints it through the parable of the wheat and the tares. A man goes out to sow. And when he sows along some good seed, he's waiting for a, a, pro, a produce, a, a crop to come up afterwards. While he's gone and his helpers are asleep, an enemy comes in and sows darnel, which is also known as tares. And what this is, is you can't tell the difference between the two, but when they grow up and they are matured, you then begin to see the differences of what's going on. The part that grabs you in this parable is that the time of harvest for the wheat and the tares are the exact same time. Now, from what we looked at last week, and I know we were kind of doing this last week, but hey, it ain't a sermon unless we do, right? We saw the rapture of the church that would take place. And what this tells us is two things. Number one, this can't be the same time that the wheat and tares are harvested. Why is that? Because the rapture is for the church. Christians in the current church believing in Christ age right now. It's not the age of grace. God has always been gracious in every age. It is the church age. So the rapture is going to happen for them. However, 
And if you want to just say it in elementary terms, all the bad people don't go. And so the question is, is if we've got tares here that are obviously called sons of the evil one, and yet they are harvested, the angels harvest them at the same time they do the sons of the kingdom. What is this time we're talking about at the same time? And what you find out it is about the 1,000 year reign of Christ. Satan is locked away, but the sin nature still compels people to sin. Who's lost? Whether spiritually or just right now in the moment. Because we need to change the sermon and have a conversation. Okay, good. Just making sure. So here's what we're looking at. Chapter 13 of Matthew, the interpretation of the wheat and tares, and we're, we're, we're stating a biblical case for why we're concluding what we're concluding about it. Look at verse 40. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the, pay attention guys, end of the age. There's your time period. What age are we talking about? The Son of Man will send forth His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom. Stop. Is that pretty clear about where they're gathered out of? Now look who's gathered. Pay attention to this. Scripture does not waste words. Look at the two groups of people it mentions. All what? Stumbling blocks. What's a stumbling block? It's a thing that trips you. Pretty simple, isn't it? It's the speed bump in the road that you didn't know was there as you were driving along. You ever done that? Man, that doesn't feel good on your shocks, does it? But that's the idea. And what's the next group of people? All who practice what? Lawlessness. Outlaws. Right? Don't everybody get Wild West, but you get the idea. Those who commit lawlessness. It's what? Okay. Mitch, we have to erase that off the... In fact, anything Tom says, just... Okay. Verse 42. And will throw them into a furnace of fire. The stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness are gathered together and they are thrown into a furnace of fire. Look what it says here. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now let me draw your attention to something real quick. Notice that when they're thrown into the furnace of fire, they don't cease to be. Does everybody see that? Being in the furnace of fire elicits a response from them. They are still able to weep and gnash their teeth in the midst of the furnace of fire. This whole idea that God annihilates people and they just no longer feel anything, they're just consciously gone and just cease to exist, is completely anti-biblical. Period. It just is. There is a conscious torment for those people who have rejected Christ. Now what makes this particular instance so bad is that these are people who have grown up in the literal, physical reign of Jesus Christ. They're there. They see it. Society's not like it is now. He is ruling in justice and righteousness. He's making all things right. Psalm 2 tells us he is ruling with the rod of iron. He's dealing with sin when it pops up. It's not somebody commits something and then six years later they might get lethal injection. It is dealt with in that moment. Jesus is ruling perfectly amongst an imperfect people. Yet they still continue in this way. So there's no excuse. I didn't know enough. Well, nobody told me. You actually had a great deal of revelation with the glorified Messiah reigning over you, ruling the world. But here's the interesting thing, verse 43. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom, notice that, of their Father. Notice it's not the kingdom of Christ. And this is kind of the point that we're getting on about what in the world is going on here with the kingdom of the Father. That's such different language from what we've seen previously speaking. So it says here, he who has ears, let him hear. In other words, that means pay attention, right? Heed this. So now turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15. 
this is where we left off at last week. We started this, and then we had to stop and ask ourselves a question, and we had to answer it with a whole lot of Scripture. Now, does everybody have a Bible? We use the Bible here. Everybody? Okay, just making sure. Okay, want to make sure we're good. So 1 Corinthians 15, this entire chapter is about the resurrection of the saints, and it's predicated upon what Jesus has done in his resurrection from the dead. In fact, if you remember, there was a certain word that was used. He is the first fruits. Now, pop quiz, don't disappoint me. All of my emotions and ego rest upon your answer. What does it mean, first fruits? What are we talking about? The first things that you harvest. Anybody want to elaborate a little bit more? That's correct. It's absolutely correct. What's that? A little bit. You answer? Yes. Thank you. Giving of your first because you have faith that more will come. In other words, what would happen is anytime that somebody had a crop that was coming in, in Old Testament Israel, they would take a beginning tenth portion of it, they would bring it to God, and they would say, God, we're praising you for providing for us. We understand that everything we have, our very sustenance, comes from you. And so we want to give you thanks, we want to honor you, we want to praise you. Woohoo! Right? Good stuff. Thank you. With the idea that you will continue to be faithful and bring about the rest of a great harvest. Now, Jesus is called the first fruits here, and the imagery is important. So, go with me, if you will, and look at verse 23. Now, here's the idea. I'll get it, Chuck. Nobody will ever know that you dropped that piece of paper on the floor. Hey, I'm walking out for you. It's good. So, and let me, let me give you this real quick. Everybody see verses 23, 24, 25, 26. Everybody see this? This is Paul's concise giving of the events of the end times. He is going to tell you exactly how the end of the world is going to play out. Okay? So here we go. Verse 23. But each in his own order. Now stop. Back up. We probably need to do this. Back up to 22. For as in Adam all die. Raise your hand if you're in Adam. We all start out in Adam, don't we? No matter how cute those kids are, they are sinners, right? We all start out in Adam and we're all going to die. But notice what it says here. So also, in Christ, all will be made alive. If you believe in Christ, you will be made alive. Now, what does that mean? He's speaking of our raising from the dead. He says here, verse 23, But each in his own order, there's an order to it. Christ, he's the first. The first fruits, and that's from verse 20. So notice, he is going to raise first. That is an event that has already happened. He has ascended at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us, building a place for us right now, and he is waiting for the time that God gives him the checkered flag in order to come back and redeem us unto himself. We will be gathered up to meet him in the air, in the clouds, and we will be with him always. It's everything we looked at last time. Christ is raised first. Then look at the next part here. After that, after Christ's resurrection, those who are Christ at his coming. Raise your hand if you're Christ. It's the same group of people. Everybody see that? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and remember, Jesus died on the cross for sin. So my sin needed to be paid for, your sin needed to be paid for, in dying for sin because he never sinned, he has righteousness that he now imputes or gives to you of no cost to you. It is a free gift. He bears all of the weight, responsibility, and cost upon himself. It costs God dearly in giving his son to purchase an undeserving people out of a certain destiny of the lake of fire because of the sin that they are born with and willingly commit. So he has paid for that, and by paying for that, he reconciles us unto God, the place where we should have been to begin with. Everybody get that? And by doing so, he says, it's a free gift. You get eternal life, forgiveness of sin, relief of guilt and shame, and you are now wrapped in the righteousness of Christ himself. You realize in God's sight, you look as righteous as Jesus? Right? I'm failing there, I'm telling you, man. That's just not true. If all I'm thinking about is me. But if I think about who I am in Christ, if I think about instead what God says about me, 
instead of maybe how I feel about me or what others say about me or what somebody decided that they would kind of behind the scenes but in an extremely passive-aggressive way on Facebook post about me? Now, why do you laugh? Because that's you. That's the reason why. But think about it. You can either get totally torn down on what other people are saying about you and how you feel about yourself, or you can start thinking about how God sees you. And what does He see you as? As righteous as His Son in His sight. That's a beautiful place to be. So notice, if you are Christ, look what it says there. Those who are Christ at His coming. And this is, this is what got us detoured last time. What does it mean by at His coming? Is this talking about when he returns and he sets up his kingdom? Or is this talking about the rapture? It has to be talking about the rapture. Why is that? Because in the parable of the wheat and tares, they're both harvested at the same time, yes? So it can't be that. Is everybody his? Notice everybody's not his. He's coming for his own. He is coming for his own. In fact, let's do this. I didn't plan on this. Let's do this. Mitch always loves it when I throw something in there. John 14. Let's look at it for just a second. You probably know it. You're like, oh, I'm very familiar with this verse. Great. Mark it, highlight it, scribble it up, memorize it, whatever you need to do. John 14, starting in verse 1. And I think this is really interesting because he just got done telling Peter that Peter's going to deny him. And notice what he says, John 14, verse 1. Man, the rustling of pages is great. Thank you for not clicking there. (laughs) All right. Chapter 14, verse 1. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now watch this. In my Father's house are many dwelling places, many mansions. Okay, stop. That don't even make sense. God's got a house, and inside of it are many mansions. Rooms we can understand. Mansions, dwelling places, whole places. Massive places inside of God's house for you and me. Notice what he says here. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. We're too busy watching the home network, figuring out how to fix up our houses and people buying crazy real estate in California. Nobody's got money like that. Good grief. And here's Jesus creating a place for us currently right now that is beyond anything we could ever imagine or see. And he's doing that for me and you. Good grief. Notice he says here, verse 3, if I go to prepare a place for you, here it is, guys. This is the rapture right here. I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, There you may be also. I'm coming to get you. And you won't ever be without me is the idea. You guys heard that song? That where I am, there you may also be. Anybody heard that? It's real. Mm -mm -mm -mm. It's No? Everybody turn back to 1 Corinthians 15. (laughs) See, I try to be real with you guys, and I just can totally tell you don't want it. Okay? I'm, I'm, help me help you, okay? Back to 1 Corinthians 15. So here's the idea. He is going to be, he's right now, he's building for us a place. He's going to come back, receive us unto himself. We will be with him always. We are Christ. Nothing can nullify that. Nothing can tear us apart from that. His love endures all sin and doubt. You can never out the grace of God in holding you and keeping you securely. It is impossible. So, yeah, praise God, absolutely. You're like throwing a party right now. Now go back to this. Those who are Christ, that is coming. This is the second phase of it. First, Christ is resurrected. Then we are resurrected and gathered unto Him. He comes back to receive us. And remember how it's going to happen. There's going to be a shout. There's going to be a trumpet. There's going to be the voice of God. And the dead who, in, who are in Christ, those who have died as believers, are going to rise first. Those who are alive, still on the earth, and Paul believed that it could have happened in his time, are going to be gathered up with him, and we will meet him in the air. And remember at the end of that, he says, and so we will be with him always. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. 
So this is that moment, the second step that happens. The next thing to happen on Paul's timeline of the end is the rapture of the church. Now watch the next verse, because here's where the order gets a little strange, but we have to pay attention to how it's worded. Now watch this, verse 24. Then, then, the end. Then the end comes. Now you say, wait a second, it's rapture and then end? Everybody hold on to your white horses here. Then comes the end. Now watch what happens. When he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father. Stop for a second. At the end of everything, we've just been told that Jesus is going to take the kingdom that he has. And he is going to turn around and he is going to hand it to his Father. At the end of the 1,000 year reign, the kingdom does something. Christ takes it in the form that it is at the culmination of his reigning time and he hands it over as a gift to the Father. Now, let me show you this real quick. Everybody look inside your handouts and you are going to see this. And you probably haven't heard anything I've said if you've looked at this. You're like, I don't even know where you are in the Bible. I've been so enraptured by this thing going on here. Now, this is just an example. This is the tail end of probably like some 12-foot chart that Clarence Larkin has done of existence from the beginning of creation and even before until the end of time. I just got out Microsoft Paint and kind of cut it a little bit of it and pasted a little bit of it and I made it to where you could see it and we could print it, right? But notice on the left-hand side, and here's what I think he gets wrong here. Notice down probably uh, a quarter of the way up, it says harvest. Everybody see that? And it says resurrection of the righteous dead only. No, that's, that's not what that is. He had a reason for looking at it the way that he did. But notice, there will be a translation of the saints up here. Everybody see how these two lines go together up here? And notice that the first bubble at the top, what happens? Notice it says Christ meeting his church, meeting them in the air. The thing to happen next at the top, while the seven-year tri uh, tribulation's going on, notice you got the little cute drawing of the Antichrist down there. Kids, if you want to take this home and color it, I'm sure mom and dad will put it on the refrigerator. No problem with that, right? But notice up at the top there, right after gathered to the air, comes the judgment seat of Christ. This is when every believer in Christ will be judged on what they've done in the body, whether it is good or bad. This judgment does not determine your eternal destiny. That is a matter that is settled by faith, on earth right now this will determine what your eternal life looks like throughout the rest of eternity will it be plentiful will it be abundant will it be bountiful or will it be poverty stricken still have an eternal life but not having much to show for how you obeyed the lord in this time because we are all stewards of his grace at this moment as believers in christ and we are going to talk more about that in the weeks to come but notice after that comes the marriage feast and then at that moment when that takes place christ will return with the saints and he will touch down on the mount of olives see it on the other side and that's when he at that time will judge the nations who turn against him and rescue israel now, i was talking to somebody i said does this all make sense they said it might be good if you give a timeline i figured instead of me drawing one right because you can't really copy good in crayon I figured instead of me drawing one, I would print up one of somebody who has studied the scriptures and really sees it going on. Something else I want to draw your attention to is everybody see this big sphere right here in the middle. At the top it says the regeneration, uh, the, 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 the coming again type of idea, the all things new again. And that's the new heavens and the new earth there on the other side of it. But if you go straight up, and there's a great white throne judgment, which we're going to be covering soon. Notice on the left-hand side next to the new Jerusalem there, it says the tares. Everybody noticed that even he in 1917 in studying this passage said that's where the tares go. The tares have to go there. There's no other way. They have to be dealt with at some time. And so those sons of the evil one are going to end up here at the great white throne judgment. Now, if you're confused, keep coming to church every Sunday because we're going to unpack some of these things. We're not doing in-depth on this, but we're going to unpack some of these things. I wanted you to at least get a feel for the timeline of what we're dealing with. So notice... Then comes the end. Verse 24. When he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father. Now didn't we say the righteous are going to shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father? Didn't we say that? This is the end of the thousand year reign of Christ. Notice what he says. The end will come when he hands over the kingdom 
to the God and Father. And just so you know, that is the last thing. When he hands the kingdom over, that is the last thing that takes place. So Christ being resurrected, number one. The saints in Christ being resurrected or translated, raptured, that's number two. Then the end comes. That's the last thing to take place. But there are some things that need to happen in order to prep for this moment. Look what it says. When he has abolished all rule and all authority and power, this is what happens during the tribulation. The second part of verse 24 is what takes place during the seven-year tribulation period. There are enemies of Christ on earth. And what's going to happen is he is going to lay down all oppression in that time, and then when he returns to establish his kingdom, and all this wickedness is coming up, even though Satan has been locked away, he will also show that he is triumphant over them, and that he alone reigns supreme, and that sin does not win in the end. So that'll be the third thing that takes place here. Verse 25, look what it says. For he what? He must reign. Christ will reign. There's a time period for it. Notice this. And it tells you what it is. For he must reign until, he will reign until a point. Watch this. He has put all his enemies under his feet. And I would label that as number four. That's the idea there. So let me go through, through it with you real quick so that you understand. You might be confused. I want to try to make it as clear as possible. Number one, Christ is the first fruits. He's resurrected. Everybody got that? If you got that, say amen. amen. Good. Number two is the rapture of the church where we will be caught up in the air to meet him and we will be with him forever. Everybody got that? Amen. Okay. The third event to happen is going to be, notice what it says in the second part of 24, he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power. Does everybody got that? Amen. That didn't sound as strong as before. Are we sure? Amen. Okay. Calm down up there. <laughs> Get a little scared. Verse 25. For he must reign. This is the 1,000 year reign of Christ. Get this, guys. Christ is not reigning right now. He is at the right hand of the Father. He is interceding on behalf of the saints to Him. He is serving in the role of priest on behalf of His people, and He is preparing a place. He's both priest and carpenter. <laughs> Making a place for us right now. That's what He's doing. And when He prepares that for us, and God gives the, all right, time to do it. That's when He comes back. So notice, He must reign. There's the thousand years. Until He has put all of His enemies under His feet. That's number four. Do you understand that? Wow, are you sure you understand that? Okay, and then what happens at the very end? Notice, verse 24. Then comes the end. This is the last thing. When he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father. In other words, what he's going to do is he is going to eliminate all traces of sin and evil and judge them thoroughly and give them the opportunity for a fair hearing. That's what's important about this. Jesus Christ is still just and fair even though he's glorified. He is going to give them a fair hearing. And in doing so, after that, you will then have a completely purified kingdom of nothing but righteous people. After the kingdom is fully purified and free of sin, he will then hand the kingdom to his Father. And this is when heaven and earth pass away and we have a new heaven and a new earth. Now I'm going to do something extremely dangerous. Are there any questions about that? So I've been so clear that everybody in here gets it. I mean, from the amens, I'm still... Let's read it all the way through to make sure we get it. Verse 23. But each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits. After that, those who are Christ, that is coming. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished... All rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Now watch this. You ready? The last enemy, verse 26. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. Do me a favor. Turn over to Revelation 20.
you know what, we might go ahead and just tackle this now. No, we won't. We will, but we're going to have to hit it again. Repetition's not a bad teacher. No, good. I'm glad you agree. He's like, good grief, you don't teach the same. Okay. I don't know where to go with this because... Okay, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne. And him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. Now think about that. The presence of Jesus Christ sitting on this throne caused for geographical structures to freak out. That's the idea. You say, oh, that's just figurative speech. You know what? I don't think that it is at all. I think that we're dealing something with so something so supernatural. And remember, guys, just because it's supernatural doesn't mean it's not reality. This is one of the biggest problems I have with psychological methods and, 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 and medicine and shrinks and things like that is often you want to go in because you need help for something and they just want to treat you and give you medicine, but the medicine only deals with the brain. It doesn't correct the mind. It doesn't renew the mind. And what we have to remember is, is we are only 50% fleshly people. The other 50% of us is spiritual. Every single person is going to stand before Jesus Christ at some point. Every knee will bow. So there comes a point where everybody's going to have to deal with the supernatural, whether we want to believe it or not. What we believe does not change the truth of what Scripture tells us about a situation. So this is why I don't find, find much fondness in those methods or the results that come out of them because they're only treating at best, if they're doing the most excellent that they can, 50% of the problem. A lot more of it is spiritual, I promise you. So notice here, good grief, I'm back in 1 Corinthians 15. Who's going to know what's going on? All right, so notice, no place was found for them. Verse 12, and I saw the dead. The dead here are, is every person who has never believed in Christ. This is everyone who never received the free pardon of salvation. Now get this, guys, because this comes down to the very nature of what we believe about the cross. The cross is an altar. That's exactly what it is. Everybody remember John's words? John the Baptist, behold, the Lamb of God that what? Takes away the sins. We know this. That's very common. Maybe that would be our next verse and everybody would be happy that it would be so easy to memorize, right? Everybody, you know, we get it. But how do we understand it? We understand it from the fact that whenever there was sin amongst the Jews, they had to bring a lamb to the priest. And they placed their hands upon it. And they confessed their sins as a transference into that lamb. And then the family sat there and they watched as one of their lambs were killed before them and the blood would run off of the altar. This is what Jesus Christ has done. And why is that? To pardon them. You are no longer guilty of these actions. But I did them. Yes but they're no longer held in your account. They've been removed. They've been expunged from your record. Or, well, let's use biblical terms. They've been cast as far as the east is from the west. They've been drowned in a sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered again. That's just how free the forgiveness of sin is. Jesus does all the work. We get all the benefit. Now, don't call it cheap grace. Grace is free, but it's not cheap. It costs God a lot. You think the Son matters a lot to the Father? Absolutely, He does. But however, to you and I, if you and I have to do anything other than respond in belief to what Jesus has done, we are now trying to add works to the perfect work of Jesus. Let me tell you something. There is no room on the cross for whatever we think we might have something good going on. He died perfectly on it. So this is a situation right here when the dead are finally called to give an account of what they have done in this life. They are there because of one way and one way only. And that's when the free pardon of salvation came their way. They said, I think I've got this. I think I can handle it. Have you ever talked to anybody that didn't need Jesus? I have. Me and God are good. I'll never forget it almost wanted to slap him. 
It sounds terrible, but it's true. I thought, you and God are good. How? What, because you do good things for people? Because you think good thoughts of people? Because my thoughts and prayers are with you. Anybody think that really matters in the scope of eternity when somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ says, my thoughts and prayers are with you? All right, here's a new one we do. I'm sending you good vibes. I'm sending you good. Guys, wake up. All we got is bad vibes, okay? I don't care who you are. All we have is bad vibes. Anything we're trying to send is a lie. What, what is that? Does everybody see how spiritual we act, but how spiritual we're not? Does everybody get this? Am I just standing on a soapbox? Did I lose everybody? Just making sure. The world makes me mad. Good grief. And this pseudo-acceptance with God, craziness. Craziness. Oh, yeah. That's my favorite. Well, I don't really believe in, there's a God, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty spiritual person. You'd have to be. Some of you got that. All right. Verse 12. And I saw the dead. The great and the small. Notice that no one's exempt from this. This is the idea. Because you don't have Christ in your stead, you're there. And it doesn't matter if you had a lot. It doesn't matter if you had a little. It doesn't matter what ranking you achieved. It doesn't matter what personal merit or rewards that you had. It doesn't matter if your upbringing was pristine or if it was in the ghetto. You're there. Standing before the throne. And books... Everybody pay pay attention to the plurality here. Books were opened. And another book, singular, was opened, which is the book of what? Okay, so does everybody got this idea in their mind? Does everybody see this? Picture it for yourself. If you need to close your eyes, that's fine. There is a great white throne. Heaven, earth, gone. You can't find it. It's nowhere around. If you want to just picture the fact that there's nothingness and everything's suspended, so be it. I don't care. But the idea is that the focal point is the fact that Jesus Christ is sitting on the throne and he is ready to judge and he can only, being consistent with his character, judge righteously. Mercifully, yes. Graciously, yes. Righteously, absolute. All the time, every time. Every time in truth. Everyone who has never accepted him as the pardon for why the wrath of God should pass over and move on and spare them, is now there to give an account of themselves before a holy and perfect God. They've got to have something to say. They've got to have a defense. And so what does Jesus do? Well, imagine over here he opens up books. Let's say he's got three or four shelvings going on. They're just open everywhere. And then over here is a singular book that's open, just resting. This is the book of life. These are the books. And notice what it says. And the dead were, what's the word, guys? Judged. Because that's what he's there to do. The time of grace is over. That's important to understand here. At this moment, all the times that somebody was going to share the gospel... And I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to read that tract. Well, the Bible's just a collection of books by some old guys that didn't know anything was going on, whatever it was, and discounting it because they wanted to live for self, serve self, and I'm okay with God, and I don't need anything. Well, I worship God in my own way. At this moment, all of those arguments are getting ready to fall flat. In fact, here's the interesting thing. All those arguments are the defense that the person has mustered up that are going to be spread apart in these books in order to tell Jesus why he shouldn't judge them to the lake of fire for eternity. How do you think that's going to play out? See, here's the crazy thing. Here's the, I mean, just think about this. Everybody at the great white throne judgment is their own lawyer. Does that scare you? It's never a good idea. The whole reason why you hire somebody else is because you are unsure about defending yourself. Notice there's nobody to step in and be your defense. So notice, to judge them. Notice, from the things, watch it guys, pay attention to every word, from the things which were written in the books. Over here on this side, right? According to their what? Oh, man. 
Some of you got work. Some of you got deeds. Same thing. What does this tell you? Talk back to me. What does this tell you? Jesus, think of it. All the dead standing before him. All of them for all time, all history, ever since the very beginning of the creation. Standing there before him. And each one is coming up and he's going through books. Finding their names. What did you do while you were on earth? Why should I let you in? On what grounds are you acceptable before a holy and righteous, perfect God? I'm looking for it. I'm looking for it. I'm looking for it. They're judged according to their deeds. What does this tell you, guys? That's a good way to put it. When we're in Christ, he sees us in Christ. Notice that the people in Christ aren't even here, right? This isn't a place where we are. We don't go through this. But when he doesn't see us in Christ, he sees you. And he sees me. I don't know about you, but I don't want him seeing me. That's when everybody starts reaching for those fig leaves, don't they? Trying to cover up something before the eyes of a righteous God. What's that? It's all works. What works has the lost person done so that Jesus will say, you know what, come up here. Come into the joy of the Lord. So notice what happens. Verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades. Death, notice that, and Hades. Hades is the grave gave up the dead which were in them and they were judged every one of them get this guys according to their deeds now stop for a second if you don't think about anything else in this line number one i hope that this lights a fire under all of our tuchuses to share jesus with people who don't know him I think that's important because here's the thing. You know some, oh, here it is. I just put it together in my mind. Thanksgiving week, isn't it? How many people are here going to see family? And what are the two things you don't talk about when you meet with family? Politics and religion. Great, because you're not religious. You have a relationship with Jesus Christ, so it's on the table, right? I'm not religious. That's other people. I have a relationship and free pardon with the king of kings who's going to rule and judge all things. You know somebody in your family that needs to know about Christ? But man, that's going to be weird. I mean, we're sitting there playing pinochle and all of a sudden I'm just going to be like, hey, so uh, Jesus. No, guys, what you do is you start praying now for God to open the door of opportunity. Because here's the thing, you don't want to walk through a door that God doesn't open for you. If you do, guess what? It's going to backfire. It's going to be closed and you can't get through it. You're going to be casting your pearls before swine to be trampled upon and then they're going to turn and they're going to devour you. That's what will happen. However, if you are calling upon God to send the Holy Spirit forward to pave the way, you are going to be mind blown at how He blows open the doors for you to be able to speak the truth in their life. Church, let's not act like that the Holy Spirit isn't looking to do something with us. He's just waiting on us to call on Him to get involved, to set the stage so that we can fulfill as a body the good works that He prepared beforehand that we should do them. He's got stuff for us to do and I guarantee you sharing Jesus Christ is at the top of the list. Right next to that, discipleship. That's what we're called to do. Nothing more, but nothing less. So pray for those opportunities now. Why? Because Uncle Virgil, who's going for his third round of pudding, might end up here at the great white throne judgment. And that's serious. Because even though you may not have had the best relationship with him, you don't want him in the lake of fire for eternity. So notice, each one of them is judged according to their deeds. Why according to their deeds? Here's the reason why. Because Jesus is fair. Because Jesus has said, you know what? I died and I gave up everything in order to give you the opportunity to step into the joy of the Lord freely and you rejected that. 
So something else has got to suffice for you being there. You know what this tells me? It tells me that if he's willing to go through everybody's deeds who don't know him, shows a profound desire that he wants them there. I'm going to give you a fair hearing. I'm going to go through everything. And if we can find even one thing that would work, you can go in. You can be there with him forever. Everything that was promised. He goes through it, guys. He takes the time. He takes the time with people who are getting ready to be cast into the lake of fire. If that's not long-suffering suffering and merciful, I don't know what it is. Verse 14, then death and Hades. Pause. What did our 1 Corinthians 15 verse say? The, the last thing to be destroyed is what? Death. Then death and Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death the lake of fire. This is the second death. Mark that in your Bible. The second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Why is it called the second death? It is called the second death because every person who does not know Jesus Christ dies physically and dies spiritually. And the death of someone spiritually, remember, death does not mean ceasing to exist. It's never meant that since the beginning of the Bible. What it means is, is a separation. And an eternity in the lake of fire is a separation from the presence and goodness of God. That's why this is such a serious issue. That is the second death. However, if you do know Jesus Christ, guess what? You only die once physically, but you live twice physically and you are born again. The language is very intentional. Spiritually. Never to die again. Physical death is not the end for the believer. We have a hope. And it's a hope that's not a, mm, I hope so. It's a hope, yes. Yes, it is happening. Absolutely. Now here's one thing I want to point out to you. Look at 11 through 15. Anybody notice that sin is not an issue here? Think about it, guys. Think about it. Just because it's 10.15, maybe your coffee's already starting to wear off. Don't let the hamster lay down. Keep him running on the wheel. Okay? Notice that sin's not here. Stop. Who are we dealing with? Who are we dealing with here? Jesus Christ is judging everyone who never believed. And notice that He's not judging them because of their sin. Sin is not an issue at the great white throne judgment. Why is that? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Stop, guys. It's a cataclysmic moment right now. Do you realize that the sins of lost people are already paid for? Jesus has already died for those who will never believe in Him which tells you something significant. When you're talking to someone who's lost, sin is not really the issue. Sin is not the problem. Sin is not keeping them from believing. Why is that? Because sin's already been paid for. The debt that has already been accumulated by the human race has already met the paid in full, stamped, done away with, and the wall has been broken down. You know what keeps people from experiencing forgiveness of sin? One thing, unbelief. Their sin's not the issue. Their unbelief is what gets them there. That person you may look at, oh, you know, I probably should share the gospel with them, but just looking at them, there's, there's no way they would ever believe. I mean, they have tattoos. <laughs> I knew that'd wake you up. But notice, sin's not the issue, is it? They just don't look like they would ever respond to the gospel. Sin's not the issue. Well, I mean, you, I mean, look at what they're in the middle of doing in their life. Sin's not the issue. The cross is greater than their sin. 
And the cross is already paid for their sin. And Jesus has already conquered sin, died to sin, and sin and death could not hold him. And he is triumphant over the grave. And all of these things that we think have power over him are cast into the lake of fire under the, 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 the complete discretion and permission of the Almighty Judge himself. And it's destroyed. And he now has a purified kingdom that he turns to the Father and submits to him humbly. Father, I've come to complete the work that you've given me to do. Salvation in full. I've justified them because they believed in my name. I have sanctified them because I gave them the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and the body of believers to encourage them in order to rescue them from the power of sin that was trying to get them off track and live for everything else but for your glory. And I have glorified them even as I myself have been glorified. They are here with me. They are with me always. I have not lost them. The salvation scope has been made complete. Here is the kingdom. And he presents it to his Father. And then heaven and earth pass away. It says there's no need for the sun anymore. Why is that? Because of the glory that radiates from the Father and Son as they reign together over all of eternity. No sin. No more death. In fact, this is the time that's brought in when it says He will wipe every tear from their eye. There's no more tears. There's no more reason for all this pain that we deal with. None. Because he takes care of all of it. Remember this, guys. Sin is not the issue. When you have the opportunity to share the gospel, sin has been paid for. Keep it simple. Do they believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And by believing, they will have life in His name. The gospel of John tells us plainly. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this time in the Scriptures as we see You have a perfect timeline for the end it's all planned it's all moving in that direction you will bring it all to completion there is nothing that stops you there is nothing that hinders you you have made all things available full and free and you simply call on people to believe father may that matter be settled before we walk out of this building have we believed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. If we have, we have life in His name. We have forgiveness of sin. We have removal of guilt. We are stainless in Your sight. We are wrapped in the righteousness of Christ our Lord. None of it we deserve. All of it You freely give. So Father, if we are Believers, children of yours through Christ. May that arouse our hearts to praise you and to thank you and to glorify you and to say thank you. God, you are gracious. Over and over gracious. We praise you for this. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.